السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد للہ نحمد ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سیئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير um, so today's uh, topic the next topic in the uh, book of Sheikh Ubaid rahimahullah is titled Sharh Qa'idatul Inghimas fil Adu wa Bayan Hukm al Amaliyat al Intihariya So this topic the title is an explanation of this principle of plunging into the enemy plunging into the enemy meaning in battle right so this is an issue that is discussed by the scholars past and present what is the ruling upon an individual a single man or a group of men plunging into an enemy in the course of battle in which they know that death is the most likely outcome so what's the actual ruling on doing that right so this is what what we mean al inghimas fil adu right plunging into into the enemy and alongside that an explanation of the ruling of what is called suicide missions suicide missions right so the intent behind this lecture here by sheikh obaid is to clarify the difference between this issue of a conventional battle in jihad behind an amir and you know some of the uh, soldiers or a group or even a single man plunging himself into the enemy distinguishing between that and be- between what is claimed in in the modern times what they call suicide missions right which is from the the, the khawarij and the extremists and the terrorists and they do these suicide missions in the muslim lands and also in the non-muslim lands and they do so with civilians non-combatants right so uh, so this lecture is going to explain that and the way sheikh obaid uh, is is addressing this is that the entire lecture really is a citation from some speech of Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah and this uh, section Qa'idatul Inghimas Fil Adu Wa Hal Yubah right so this is a section from the fatawa of Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah and most of the lecture is just simply the speech of Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah explaining this particular issue of plunging into the enemy and speaking generally about the permissibility of that and what are the evidences for that from the Quran and from the Sunnah. And at the end of that, Sheikh Ubaid makes some brief comments uh, and outlines numerous differences between this principle here and between what is claimed by those who 
you know, like, like I said, they, they call it suicide missions and they claim this is jihad in the path of Allah when in reality it, it is corruption and it is jihad in the path of shaitan. Now, before we start going through the actual speech of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, I think it would be uh, useful to briefly explain uh, how, how and why this issue of the, the suicide missions in a modern sense, but also very early on when the Khawarij appeared, how and why they reframed the issue of jihad. They, they reframed it upon the principles of, of their innovation, right? So we can understand how and why their understanding became twisted and distorted. It would be useful to give like a brief background to that before we embark upon the actual uh, lesson because then it will allow us to uh, contextualize and, and understand where everything fits and why you know these people are falling into into this mistake so to, to keep it as concise as possible we know that in the time of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam there was the a movement surfaced by way of a man called Dhul Khuwaysara At-Tamimi. You've heard this man's name. You know, he's known as the, the father of the, the Khawarij. And so this happened in the time of the Messenger of Allah And what happened is that the Messenger of Allah he distributed some war booty uh, sometime after the Battle of Hunayn. And the, the war booty was given to uh, different uh, people or different factions or different tribes for, for, for certain reasons and wisdoms. And so these people, this man and the group of people with him, they began to make some murmurings. They began to say that this division of this wealth that the messenger of Islam that he distributed, it wasn't just. Why? Because they, 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 they wanted some of this wealth, right? And they were desirous of this wealth and it didn't come to them, so they were unhappy. And they began to make these murmurings about this is injustice, this is not fair, and this is not something... And they said this to the Messenger of Allah, that this is not something by which the face of Allah is being sought. Right? They were accusing the Messenger of Allah of, of doing things for other than the, the sake of Allah and casting doubt on his intentions. So, and one of them even, you know, he said to the Messenger of Allah, I'dil ya Muhammad, you know, be just, O Muhammad. Like he had the audacity to come and speak like this to the Messenger of Allah. So, Umar uh, bin al-Khattab, as we read in the hadith, that he said, let me strike the neck of this hypocrite. And the messenger of Allah, he said, leave him, because then the people will start saying that Muhammad is a man who, who kills his companions. This is the things that people will start to say. So just leave him, let him, let him go. And so the man walked off. And as you know, in, in these hadith, the messenger of Allah, he said that from the offspring or from the associates of this man will appear a group and uh, he mentioned many details about them descriptions about them that they will recite the Quran and it will not go beyond their throats or their collarbones and they you know will speak with the best most beautiful speech of the creation and they will 
uh, you know, mentioned that they will kill the Muslims and mentioned many other traits uh, about them. And he also mentioned, uh, made many prophecies uh, about them that they will appear at a time where there will be strife amongst the Muslims, division amongst the Muslims. The Muslims will be in two parties and they will be fought and killed by the one out of those two parties who is closest to the truth. This is referring to Ali radiallahu anhu. So anyhow, uh, in the time of uh, Uthman radiallahu anhu, so after the time of Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu, uh, nothing uh, happened uh, in, in, in relation to this. But in the time of Uthman radiallahu anhu, there was these people who tried to find fault with Uthman and his rule. And they, they had many, many issues they tried to bring. All of them were false. And uh, things like that, you know, he puts his relatives in power and he's not just in his dealings and he's not this and he's not that. And all of these individual allegations that were made were actually, were actually false. And some of the scholars, uh, uh, you know, many centuries afterwards, they wrote uh, a book, Al-Awasim Min Al-Qawasim, I believe is the name of the book. I think uh, Ibn Al-Arabi. Al-Maliki, and uh, he, he refuted all of these allegations that were made against Uthman radiallahu anhu. In any case, these people, this movement appeared led by Abdullah bin Saba al-Yahudi, and his group of people attached to him were known as the Sabaiyya, and they instigated this revolution against Uthman, uh, they came to Medina, thousands of them. They laid siege to his house. And um, eventually he was assassinated, as you know, inside his house by these people. Something that was also prophesied by the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now this movement here, uh, the, the Sabaiya, this, this remained present right through the problems. They were actually behind the problems between Muawiyah and Ali. And also when Aisha got uh, involved in the battle of the Jamal, anha, there was this movement that was there working behind the scenes to instigate all of these kind of tribulations and to uh, put a wedge in between the companions and to you know, try to foment this, uh, this, this uh, uh, you know, division and strife. So as we know, there appeared a difference between Ali and Muawiyah. Ali wanted to achieve stability first of all in the rule in the leadership uh, which was actually the correct and most befitting thing to do and Muawiyah anhu wanted revenge uh, for Uthman and he wanted to pursue the criminals immediately and bring them to justice of these two Ali was most correct as the messenger of Islam himself he he informed in any case in this dispute between Ali and Muawiyah uh, the same people were involved in stoking the, these issues and then eventually they agreed to an arbitration, Ali and Muawiyah. And when this arbitration took place, meaning that they agreed to, uh, you know, to, to sit down and have a rep representative from either party to sit and talk and to resolve everything, a group of people, they broke off from Ali, from the camp of Ali, and they accused him of having become a mushrik. Having become a mushrik, right? These same people, they're the same people who earlier on 
they were involved in the assassination of Uthman. So with Uthman, they said, they accused him also of being a disbeliever because they said, you are not judging with justice. You're not abiding by justice. And so you have become a disbeliever. And with Ali, radiallahu anhu, they accused him of being a mushrik. Why? Because he allowed men to arbitrate in the dispute that took place between himself and between Muawiyah. And all of this is from the jahl, from the ignorance of these people. And that's why the messenger said that they will recite the Quran and it will not go beyond their collarbones, right? Because they do not understand uh, the, the, the Quran and what is, what is in the Quran. So anyhow, this band of people, they split away and they abandoned Ali's army and they went to a place, uh, you know, Harura, they, they set up in a certain place. There was about maybe 6,000, numbers vary. And Ali radiallahu anhu, he sent Ibn Abbas to go and to advise them and to debate with them. So Ibn Abbas went and he asked them, what are your issues? They brought three issues. And then he proceeded to refute each of those issues by bringing verses from the Quran to show them that they had misunderstood and you know, they, they, they were in error. So a large faction repented and abandoned the group, but there was a faction that, that remained. And this group of people, they uh, split away and they set up their own Islamic state in a place called uh, Nahrawan, and this is not far, it, it's you know, uh, from, uh, not far from Baghdad, maybe 10, 15 miles or kilometers or something. And they set up in that place, and this was their Islamic, this was their own Islamic state. So once they separated from the main body of the Muslims, they considered Ali to be a disbeliever, and they then began to develop their own principles as to, you know, how, how do we behave with these people, Muslims, whom they considered to be mushrikeen, right? So they expelled all of these Muslims, Ali and whoever's with him, the companions, from Islam. And so then they had to develop like a basically, like a jurisprudence, like a fiqh, like, like a, a you know, school of thought in terms of how do we behave with the, the, the rest of the body of, to us Muslims, but to them, polytheists and disbelievers, and so this is where all of their basic ideas started to come from about, you know, this is um, about, you know, Darul Kufr, Darul Mushrikeen, Darul Harb, and because they believed that they were in, in Darul Islam and everybody else is in Darul Kufr, right? And then they had to also speak about issues of, okay, what about loyalty and disloyalty? What about, okay, someone who... Uh, remains living amongst the mushrikeen, meaning amongst the Muslims whom they consider disbelievers, right? Does he take the same ruling as them? What if he's, what if he's one of us? What if he's one of us, but he chooses to live amongst them? Is he still a Muslim, right? And then likewise, the issue of jihad, jihad against the, the polytheists. This is directed now to actual Muslims, 
and they were of the belief that since the ruler, meaning Ali, is a disbeliever and a polytheist, and those who are under his rule who agree with him must also therefore be polytheists, this means Islam no longer exists. Islam no longer exists. There is no Islam. So therefore the greatest obligation upon us is, is to re-establish Islam by establishing like, you know, like, like the Khilafah or a state and, you know, and, um, and so on and so forth. You can see these basic ideas, this basic like jurisprudence that they developed, uh, all of it is, is built upon ignorance and misguidance. None of these people took knowledge from the companions. None of these were companions who were, who were behind uh, uh, or the leaders of this group, nor did they study with the companions. And because of that, and because of their ignorance, and because of also their zeal for the religion, right? So this is a fatal combination. You have zeal for the religion, but you are ignorant of, of the Qur'an and of its meanings and of its rulings. And this is a, a, a very harmful combination. And this is what actually happened you know, in that time period. So the point being, from the corruption in understanding they developed these ideas about jihad and loyalty and disloyalty and what's the ruling on the abode, meaning you know, the, the abode that they choose to live in and the abode that other people are living in. What's, what's the status of these abodes and you know, what defines the relationship? Right? And so they reframed all of these principles that we know are in the Quran and the Sunnah about you know, jihad in the path of Allah and loyalty and disloyalty and things of that nature which you know, have their place and have a context and they took all of that and reframed it on the, on the basis of their innovation. Right? Their innovation being that you know, uh, the ruler who is unjust or tyrannical and doesn't establish you know, justice, he's a disbeliever. Right? So this is the type of mentality out of which you see these people justifying in Muslim lands and in non-Muslim lands, justifying going into a market, going into a school, going into, you know, wherever there are people, civilians that are gathered and justifying bombings, right? Killing themselves and killing maybe, you know, 50, 100, 150 people along with them. Right? This is the mentality, this is the, the innovation or the doctrine or the creed out of which these types of actions are basically justified. Right? And so, although I've given you like a very simple, you know, very concise um, you know, understanding of, of this mentality, they have many, many, many detailed doubts and misconceptions in all of these issues, right? About ruling by what Allah revealed, about jihad in the path of Allah, about loyalty and disloyalty, about there are many issues that they use and they have shubuhat, they have doubts. And one of those doubts in the modern sense is this particular doubt, right? Which is suicide missions, are they allowed? What do we mean by suicide missions? What do these people mean by suicide missions? What these people mean, what these people do, and what they were actually doing? You know, the Daesh, 
and people like that, what they mean is that, you know, for example, um, in fact, this was the very same type of propaganda that was taking place in the time of Ali radiallahu anhu. Because from the time that the, the Khawarij split off from Ali to the time that he fought them, there was a couple of years. And within that two-year period, there was a lot of uh, the, the, these Khawarij, they were basically going out, they were sitting on the roads, they were going into mosques, they were coming into the, the mosque and, and they were haggling and, uh, with Ali radiallahu on, 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 on the pulpit and they were actively engaged in recruiting, recruiting like ignorant youth, right, youth, youth, sinners and, you know, uh, people without knowledge and they were actively recruiting people like that to become part of their Islamic state in Nahrawan. And they were using propaganda just like they were saying that, you know, you, you will become a martyr, you will die in the path of Allah, you, you know, you will establish Islam, Islam is no longer existent, and, you know, you are a sinful person, do you want to enter paradise? Then come and make jihad in the path of Allah. And, and you know, this is what they were doing back then, as occurs in the narrations. So, in a modern sense, this is the same thing that Daesh, ISIS, you know, Jubha and Nusra and, you know, people like that, they're doing the same thing. But this time over the internet and, you know, uh, uh, telling people, uh, targeting people, uh, young women, young girls, you know, men, young men uh, who are out on the street doing drugs, leading sinful lives and saying you are, you are sinful, you need to repent. And the only way you can repent is come and do jihad in the path of Allah. All right, and they bring them and they brainwash them and tell them to go on a suicide mission, get in a, you know, truck or, a, or something, go and drive it into the market or something. All of this, you know, is, 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 is a, a symptom and a consequence of this kind of innovation or this uh, doctrine that appeared only maybe three or four decades after, two or three decades after the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, passed away, which he himself informed his nation that these, these people will appear. So one, just one, like I said, there are many, many issues in which they have doubts and misconceptions. But one of those issues here is the issue of suicide missions. And what they mean by a suicide mission, as I said, a man strapping himself, going into a market where there's women, children, you know, men trying to earn their livelihood, uh, uh, or to get into a truck or a van or a car and to go into a marketplace or whatever it might be. This is what they mean by suicide missions. And then they try to justify this by way of texts uh, in, in the Quran, in the Hadith. So this entire passage from Shaykh al-Islam ibn Timurahimullah is going to discuss the issue of what is the ruling upon a man plunging into the enemy? And can this be considered to be the same as what is called suicide missions? Right. So this is what we're going to explore inshallah ta'ala in what is to follow from the speech of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. So the Shaykh says, Shaykh al-Islam, The principle in war, in battle, of plunging into the midst of the enemy, and is it permissible? So Shaykh al-Islam, he begins uh, after praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
and mentioning the, the khutbatul haja and after all of that and sending salat and salam upon the messenger of Allah sallallahu he says this issue this is an issue in which the believers in general they are, they are in need of understanding and likewise the mujahidun in particular right so the believers in general are in need of understanding this issue but those who make jihad in the path of Allah, those in particular need to understand this issue. Even though iman, a person's iman, cannot be completed and perfected except by way of jihad itself. He mentions the ayah in the Quran, Inna Right, which means indeed those who believe are those who believe in Allah and the Messenger and thereafter never doubt. They never have doubts in their Iman. And they strive in the path of Allah with their wealth and with their souls they are the ones who are sadiqun, the other ones who are truthful. So in this ayah, truthfulness and true iman has been tied to making jihad with yourself and with your wealth. And a person cannot be a true believer until he has engaged in that. Right? So uh, the shaykh makes that point and then he goes on to say, however, he then goes on to say and explain that this jihad that we are speaking of, this jihad itself has numerous uh, manifestations and types. So he says, he says, however jihad can be against the people of disbelief and the people of hypocrisy, the disbelievers and the hypocrites, it can also be against them, just as Allah commanded his messenger, Ya ayyuhan nabi, O Prophet, wage jihad against the disbelievers and the hypocrites and be severe and stern against them. He mentioned this twice in the book of Allah. And likewise, jihad wa yakunul jihad bin nafsi wal mal. Jihad can also be by way of the soul and by way of the wealth. Just as Allah said, wajahidu. Strive in the path of Allah with your wealth and with yourselves in the path of Allah. And likewise, it can also be by other than that. right? So for a person to be engaged in jihad, it can be other than the things that have been mentioned. right? Which means with yourself, with your wealth, you know... Uh, it can be other than that. And so he continues and he says, on account of what is established in the two sahihs of Al-Bukhari Muslim from the Prophet ﷺ, that he said, مَنْ جَحَّزَ غَازِيًا فَقَدْ غَزَى وَمَنْ خَلَفَهُ فِي أَهْلِهِ بِخَيْرٍ فَقَدْ غَزَى This means that the one who equips a soldier or one who goes on an expedition, meaning he he gives him wealth, he gives him provisions, he gives him a horse, he gives him a saddle, he gives him you know, a bow, an arrow, or spear, or sword, whatever it might be, then this, this person himself has embarked upon 
a battle, right? He himself is engaged in, in jihad, the one who equips the fighter. And likewise, the one who remains behind to look after the family of the one who goes on an expedition, he remains behind and takes care of the needs and everything, he himself is also on the expedition. This means that you don't have to be actually doing jihad with the self and with the wealth to be considered to be doing, you know, to be engaged in this type of uh, jihad. And likewise, the jihad can also be, as he says, it can be done by the heart alone, it can be done by the tongue, and it can be also done by the hand. Just as the Messenger of Allah Sallam, he said in a hadith, Jahidul Mushrikeen bi'aydikum wa alsinatikum wa amwalikum. That make jihad against the mushrikeen by way of your hands and your tongues and by way of your wealth. And likewise, he said in another hadith in Al-Bukhari, he said, indeed in Medina, there are a people, they, there are a group of people in Medina, this is when the, the, these, the companions left on an expedition and some remained behind. And so he said to those who went on the expedition that there are some people in Medina, remain in Medina, they have not, you know, you, you have not traversed any journey, nor have you crossed any valley, except that they are with you. And they have been prevented by way of an excuse. And meaning, as Ibn Taymi says, that those people who remain behind, their jihad was by way of their hearts and by way of their dua. Right? Because they were un unable to come. And because they longed to engage in, in, in that jihad, and they also made dua for that, and likewise for the, for the mujahideen, they were considered to be exactly in the same, they, they were considered to be as if they were with the people who are, who are proceeding to, to battle. And in this respect, Ibn Taymiyyah quotes an ayah in, in the Quran, لا يستوي القاعدون من المؤمنين غير إلي الضرر غير أولي الضرر والمجاهدون في سبيل الله بأموالهم وأنفسهم which means that those who sat and remained behind amongst the believers and suffered no harm and those who engaged uh, you know strove in the path of Allah with their wealth and with their souls they are not equal the two are not equal clearly they are not equal the ones who remained behind and the ones who proceeded they are not equal that Allah has favored those who strove with their wealth and their selves over those who sat by way of a degree. So Allah gave these a degree over those who sat and remained behind. However, to both Allah has promised goodness. Uh, to the end, and he has given those who went out in jihad against those who sat, he has given them a great reward over those who sat. So here, as you can see in this ayah, both parties are rewarded 
both parties, you know, that there's good. One party did so by way of intention to do so and making dua, and the other party is actually out, you know, engaged and proceeding uh, on the path, which means that they were treated to be the same in principle except that one group has a greater greater reward. So Ibn Taymiyyah is using this as a proof to show that jihad is not just the physical uh, fighting and engaging in battle, it is more broad and is of more types than just that alone. He also said that the Prophet wasallam said in a hadith which is a sahih authenticated by Sheikh Al-Bani rahimahullah, he said, As-sa'i ala sadaqah bil-haqq kal-mujahid fi sabilillah. The one who strives in giving charity in truth, then he is like the mujahid fi sabilillah. He is like the one who strives or you know, engages in jihad in the path of Allah. And he also mentioned the hadith, the famous hadith, Al-Mujahidu Man Jahada Nafsahu Fillah. Who is the Mujahid? The Mujahid is the one who strives against his own soul in the path of Allah. And this is actually the asal of jihad. This is the foundation of jihad itself. Right? Jihad is to strive against your soul in obedience to Allah. And the one who does that, he is a mujahid. Right? And this is the asal of, of jihad, and this is what is a mujahid. And likewise, also he mentions the hadith, al-mu'min man aminahu nas ala dima'ihim wa amwalihim. The believer is the one whom the people are secure from as it relates to their blood and to their wealth. This is one way to define what is a believer. A believer in whose heart iman has settled is the one who does not harm people in their blood nor in their wealth. Right? This is a believer. Wal-muhajir man hajara ma nahallahu anhu. And who is the emigrant? Who is the one who makes hijrah? It is the one who flees from or, or abandons or emigrates away from what Allah has prohibited. This is the muhajir. That's the asal of being a muhajir. Right? That you flee from and you abandon, you emigrate away from whatever Allah has prohibited of the deeds and actions and so on and so forth. Well, Muslim. مَنْ سَلِمَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ مِنْ لِسَانِهِ وَيَدِهِ And who is the Muslim? The Muslim is the one from whom the people, from whose tongue and their hand, the people, the Muslims are safe from. So in all of these texts, as you have seen, Ibn Taymiyyah has initially outlined what is this jihad, this jihad without which iman cannot be complete, what are its manifestations? What are its types? How does it take place in the heart, on the tongue, with the hand? And the fact that a person to be considered a mujahid does not have to be actually engaged in the physical battle or the war. Uh, he can be uh, outside of that and still be considered to be a mujahid, either by physical support or by way of intention and desire though prevented by a valid excuse 
right? All of these people, they are considered to be mujahideen. And even just the general person who strives against his own soul to obey Allah, he likewise is considered to be engaged in, in jihad. So as you can see, uh, all of this enters into what is jihad. And jihad isn't just uh, restricted just to that uh, fighting, although that is the, the peak and the you know, essence of, of it. Then he goes on to explain that battle itself, al-ghazwan, the battle is itself of two types. So when a person engages in the actual battle, there's two categories on the basis of the person himself. So in the hadith in the Sunan from Mu'adh, from the Messenger of Allah, he said, al-ghazu ghazwan, the battle is of two types. As for the one who sought the face of Allah and he obeyed the Imam, right? The leader or the commander in the course of, of battle and war. And then he spent from the good part of his wealth. He spent it to, to be able to go out in, in jihad. He spent it on a, on, on a horse or something like this. So he said, and likewise, he avoided creating any type of corruption. He avoided corruption. Then indeed, his sleep and his awareness, all of it is a reward. Right? So this is the first type of battle. A man who seeks the face of Allah, he's obedient he sticks to the commands like the actual strategy and military you know the commands which are handed down from either the, the the chief and then to the his deputies or whatever right so he loyally follows all of the uh, instructions and the commands and he doesn't do anything corrupt or wrong or unjust or you know, he doesn't kill anyone uh, that he's not supposed to kill and he, he he sticks to all of that then this man while he's while he's sleeping and while he's awake all of that is a reward for him as for the second type of battle, وَأَمَّا مَنْ غَزَى فَخْرًا وَرِيَاءً وَسُمْعَةً وَعَصَى الْإِمَامْ وَأَفْسَدَ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَإِنَّهُ لَنْ يَرْجِئَ بِكَفَافِ As for the one who fought out of, you know, to boast, to boast to the people that I, I did jihad, or to be, to show off, or to have a reputation, to be, to be, heard about and to be spoken of and he disobeys the imam so he's not loyally following the the strategy and the orders of his superiors and he causes corruption upon the earth that meaning he does things which are unlawful and and corrupt and wrong in the course of of battle then this person will not return back with anything with any anything that will you know be of um you know, like with, with any sufficient means, he will not come back with, with anything. So this is an authentic hadith. And likewise, in another hadith in Bukhari and Muslim from Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, he said that it was said to the messenger of Allah, a man, he fights for bravery. And he fights out of tribal loyalty, loyalty for his tribe. Or he fights in order to show off so which of these is fighting in the path of Allah? 
three men fighting for different reasons. One to show how brave, like because he wants to display the, the boldness and the bravery. Another one uh, because he's fighting for party, like tribal, you know, zeal and bigotry and partisanship for the, for the tribe, right? And another one is fighting to be to, to show off, to be seen of men. Which of these three is fighting in the path of Allah? And the Messenger of Allah he said, "Man qatala litakuna kalimatullah hiya alulya, fahuwa fi sabilillah." Wa qala taala, "Wa qatiluhum hatta la takuna fitnatun wa yakunu dinu kullahu lillah wa yakuna wa yakuna dinu lillah." So he said, "It is the one who." fights so that the word of Allah is uppermost. It is the one who fights so that the kalima la ilaha illallah, it is uppermost. That tawheed is uppermost. And this is the one who is in the path of Allah. And Allah the Most High said, fight them until there is no more tribulation and the religion is for Allah. So all of this is basically an introduction. All of these texts that, you, that you've heard, they are a basic introduction about jihad itself. And in this short introduction, Rutemiyah, by way of these texts, has mentioned many, many things, as we, as we said. Uh, Iman can be, cannot be complete except by way of jihad. And that is a sign of one's truthfulness in Iman, that jihad can have many manifestations. It can be actual fighting, it can be, you know, uh, by way of uh, striving against the soul. It can be by way of equipping the mujahideen. It can be by way of desiring to do so but being prevented. All of these are different, you know, people enter into the, the, the label of being a mujahid by way of that. And then, after that, uh, it comes down to an issue of intention and motive, which is why a battle for every individual is always of two types. One which is for the sake of Allah, you know, for his pleasure, and one which is for other reasons. It could be for the booty, it could be to show off, it could be to display one's bravery, it could be for uh, tribal loyalty and zeal and, and boasting and so on and so forth. So it's the man who is selfless and he seeks the face of Allah the one who is truly a mujahid engaged in the the sabilillah, fi sabilillah. This is why it is jihad fi sabilillah. It is qualified fi sabilillah, which excludes all of these other things which, which do not enter into it. So after all of this introduction, Ibn Taymiyyah then introduces the issue. He says, this mas'ala is about a man, one man, are a group of people and they are fighting another group of people who are at least two times greater than them. Right? So you are one against two people or you are ten against twenty people. Right? Or you are a hundred against two hundred or three hundred people. So in this situation, and this is a conventional war and a battle, Right? So straight away you can see that this whole idea of suicide missions, of where you, you know, you're going into a marketplace in somewhere in Afghanistan or Pakistan or Iraq or some other place like that, and there are civilians, men, women, children, right? 
What's that got to do with this? This issue here is in a conventional battle and a war and you are one person against two, ten against twenty or thirty, a hundred against two hundred, three hundred. Right? So in this situation, you are involved in that battle and and you know that in this situation you are most likely going to be killed. Right? If you plunge yourself into the enemy. Right? This is what is called Al-Inghimas Fil Adu, which is plunging into the enemy. And so he rushes forward, goes into the midst of the enemy, and then he dis- disappears among the enemy. Right? So this thing. Ibn Taymiyyah is describing these scenarios. This is one scenario, right? Another scenario is where in the course of the battle, you somehow manage to sneak upon the leader or the chief or the, you know, of, the, of the enemy. And you are able in that situation to kill him, but you know that you are most likely going to be killed if you manage to do that, right? You're not going to come out alive because as soon as you, you kill that person, all of the people around are going to pounce on you, right? So this is now a second scenario where you plunge yourself into the midst of, of the enemy. And likewise, a third situation or a scenario is where there's a group of fighters and um, let's say there's you know, 20 you know, uh, in, in a contingent and 10 15 of them get killed by the enemy and you are five left and you out of seeking revenge right for those who are killed you want to plunge yourself into the enemy who killed them because you want to fight and and you know whatever this is like like a third scenario now if you look at all of these three scenarios these are different scenarios where this principle of plunging into the enemy where it can apply right so the issue here is is and you know that you are going to be killed more than likely you're not going to come out alive so what is the ruling in each of these situations or in this type of situation with with different forms and manifestations what's the ruling upon this and keep in mind importantly that this has got nothing to do with what the extremists and the terrorists, the, 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 the khawarij and the extremists, this has got nothing to do with what, what they are about, right? Who do suicide missions, they blow up marketplaces, houses, business places, right? And they kill civilians and they claim this is jihad in the path of Allah. This is not. This is jihad in the path of shaitan, right? But this issue here is an issue of jurisprudence. What is the ruling that if you are in a lawful, legitimate jihad under a clear leadership and rulership right because jihad in islam has come with regulations it is orderly it's not like chaos and confusion and everyone doing his own thing no because this would lead to corruption upon the earth and it would lead to defeat and ruin this is not how how jihad is done right so 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 on the one hand we free ourselves from the extremists and the terrorists the khawarij and people like that but on the other hand this jihad, we, you know, we're not, we're not um, this is part and parcel of Islam and it is behind a, a Muslim ruler and his army and it is done 
with rules and with, with order and so on and so forth, this is part and parcel of our religion. And we're not going to dismiss this from our religion just because of uh, either uh, you know, the, the, the people of disbelief using the extremists and the terrorists which we have got nothing to do with just, just to please them. No, these, 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 are, these, are, these are rulings from within Islam and they are, they are jurisprudential rulings and we, we discuss them. So we are discussing it from that point of view just in case people are listening and you know, saying that okay, he's talking about jihad in the path of Allah and this fighting the dis No, this is in a conventional war, in a conventional battle which is openly announced and it is fought honorably uh, with, you know, honorably, right? So this ruling is related to that. What is the ruling if a fighter is in that particular situation? And so Ibn Taymiyyah says, Rahimahullah, فَهَذَا كُلُّهُ جَائِزٌ إِنَّ عَامَةِ عُلَمَاءِ الْإِسْلَامِ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْمَذَاهِبِ الْأَرْبَعَةِ وَغَيْرِهِمْ وَلَيْسَ فِي ذَلِكَ إِلَّا خِلَافٌ شَاذٌ. So he says that this is permissible. All of this is permissible in the view of the general. Generality of the scholars of Islam, from among the the, the 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 people of the four madhabs and other than them, and there isn't any kind of dispute about this except like a small group of people who kind of disputed this issue. So meaning that generally and overwhelmingly there is actual agreement on this issue that you can plunge into the enemy in these types of scenarios where you know for certainty you are going to be killed, right? So keep in mind, as we go along, you can clearly see the difference between this and between suicide bombings. In suicide bombings, what are you doing? You are killing yourself, right? You're strapping bombs to your body and you're going to a marketplace, you're pulling the string, you're killing yourself first, right? This has got nothing to do with that. This is in the context of, of conventional war. It is bravery. It is, you know... You are in particular situations, and as a tactic of war, you you know you know you're going to uh, lose your life. This is not the same as suicide. This is not suicide, right? So keep in mind the distinctions between this and between that. So then Ibn Taymiyyah continues, Allahu Akbar. 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 Allahu Ashadu an la ilaha illallah Ashadu anna muhammadar rasulullah Ashadu anna muhammadar rasulullah Hayya ala salah Hayya ala salah Ikhwan, uh, someone's block, uh, blocking the back three. Uh, the number plates VW Toran, number plates. KM59YGX. One of the neighbors is trying to leave and he can't. Jazakumullah khair.
So Sheikh Islam continues and he says, as for those scholars who are followed, such as Shafi'i and Ahmed and others, then they have textually stated that this is something which is permissible. And likewise, it is the madhab of Abu Hanifa and Malik and others. And the evidence for this is from the, is from the kitab and the sunnah and the ijma' of the salaf of the ummah. Right? So this is something that is proven by the Quran, by the sunnah and also by consensus. So now Shaykh al-Islam goes on to mention verses, evidences from the Quran and the sunnah to establish this. And the first proof he brings, the first evidence he brings is the statement of Allah in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ بِطِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ رَؤُوفٌ بِالْعِبَادِ That amongst the men are those who sell their souls seeking the pleasure of Allah. And Allah is compassionate or merciful to the servants. Now the reason behind the revelation of this verse it is said or it is mentioned that the reason for the revelation of this verse is that Suhaib that Suhaib he became a Muslim when he was in Mecca and he left Mecca as a Muhajir right so he wanted to emigrate to Medina and when he came to on the path to Medina to go with the messenger of Allah he came across some mushrikun, some polytheists, and he was alone by himself. And when he came across these people, he basically uh, faced them and took out like his spear or his arrows from his quiver. And he said to them, by Allah, any man amongst you comes close to me and I will, you know, I, I will basically you know, fire, fire at him. And he wanted to fight them on his own. Which is one man fight, wanting to fight a band of people. And Ibn Taymi says that Suhaib also said that if you want, you can go to Mecca and you can take my wealth and I will tell you where my wealth is. Right? So basically he's making hijrah. He wants to reach the Prophet Wasallam. He come across, comes across some polytheists, a group of polytheists. He's just one man. So then he challenges that he will basically either plunge into them and fight them. Either that or if they leave him alone, then they are free to go and take his wealth in Mecca, which he will tell them where it is. So eventually they left him and... Um, he then found his way to the Prophet ﷺ and he told him what happened. He told the Prophet ﷺ what happened. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, he said, um, He said, this was a successful transaction, O Abu Yahya. Right? Meaning that this trade which he did with these polytheists, that he traded his wealth for being able to come and see and meet with the Prophet ﷺ, that this was an, an excellent trade. This is the excellent profit and a trade that you made by giving up your wealth and you know uh, coming to see, coming to be with the Messenger of Allah, making hijrah. So anyway, this is an evidence, or this is one evidence brought by Shaykh Al Islam 
to show the permissibility of doing that. A second evidence, inshallah, we'll finish with this. And this is the hadith of Aslam, uh, Abi Imran, uh, who is the Mawla of Najib, who said, he's narrating, and this is, um, uh, mentions a story about Constantinople. So this was when he says, we were in Constantinople, and the people of Sham, they were being led by Fadala bin Ubaid al-Ansari. And the people of Egypt, Misr, they, meaning the, the armies, right, who were going to Constantinople. And the people of Misr, they were being led by Uqba ibn Amir al-Juhani. So, as they were in Constantinople, he said that a rank, a mighty, a large rank of the Romans, they came out against us. And um, likewise from the Muslims, a large group from the Muslims, they went forward. And one man, there was one man amongst the Muslims who plunged into the rows of the Romans. And he fought and he killed many of them and then he came back out. Right? So one man did this. So then the people began to shout and say, Subhanallah, is this man throwing himself to destruction? Is this man like, you know, throwing himself to destruction? And uh, they said, Alqa biyadihi ila tahluka. Is this man throwing himself to destruction? So Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, radiallahu anhu, he said, O oh people, indeed you are interpreting this verse with other than its interpretation, right? So the reason why they said this about this man, is this man throwing himself to destruction, is because there is an ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah where Allah says, do not, you know, do not throw yourself into destruction. Do not throw yourself into destruction. This ayah was revealed. So they used this ayah to say about this man, is this man throwing himself to destruction? And Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, a companion, he, upon hearing this, said, O oh people, you are interpreting this verse upon other than its proper interpretation. This verse was revealed about us, meaning the companions, the Ansar. When Allah he aided his religion and the supporters of the religion grew and we used to say to ourselves in secret, we used to say to ourselves that, that, meaning that after Allah gave the companions victory and success and um, you know, they said to themselves, our, our properties have become ruined and they need renovation. So maybe if we you know, uh, renovate our properties and do them up again and, you know, something like this. Then Allah revealed this ayah, this verse about not throwing yourself into destruction. And this verse came in order to reject our action and what we were thinking to do um, in, in our souls, that we renovate our properties and fix our properties and, you know, things like this. And this is the destruction which we wanted to enter into. And instead, we were ordered to engage in, you know, in expeditions. 
right? So the meaning of the verse isn't what the people thought, where a man, he goes and he plunges himself into the enemy. This is not what this verse means. Rather, the verse means that do not become occupied in worldly issues and issues of, of luxury and renovating things and worldly things like that, when you should be engaging in you know, what, what, what aids the cause of Allah. So obviously they misinterpreted the verse. And um, Abu Ayyub himself, as the hadith continues, or as the narration continues, Abu Ayyub himself continued to engage in expeditions until his soul uh, was taken by Allah. So this now is a second proof, a second evidence, clear evidence to show the permissibility of like in this situation of plunging into the enemy even if certain death, you know certain death is going to come to you. So inshallah we'll, we'll stop on this note, uh, on this evidence, we'll continue with the remaining evidences in the next uh, lesson inshallah ta'ala upon the completion of this so just to make it clear in this lesson what we are discussing we are distinguishing between what is claimed by the extremists and terrorists of the suicide missions where they claim this is jihad in the path of Allah and they strap themselves with bombs and explosives and going to markets and kill women and children and they claim this is permissible in the sharia and then they try to bring evidences. These are the evidences. These same evidences is what they bring. They say, look, this companion, he plunged into the enemy. Right? And straight away, you, you should be able to see the, the lack of, the, the, the ignorance and the lack of understanding of these people because, because this here is in a conventional war with two armies. Here, this is like, these are civilians. How can you use these texts to justify the slaughter of innocent civilians, men, women, and children? This shows the understanding of these people is, is twisted because they, they you know, follow their desires and they do not have any sound knowledge of the, of the Qur'an. And that's why the messenger said, they recite the Qur'an, it does not go beyond their collarbones. It's just reading the Qur'an, that's it. It's not going into the heart with, with understanding. Right? And so this is how they twist these, these evidences, the very evidences which are actually a refutation of them. So this now is the second evidence that makes clear the permissibility in a conventional battle under a leader, under a military command, where uh, the battle is fought openly, announced and so forth, where it is permissible to plunge into the enemy in you know, various scenarios, even if you know that you are most likely going to be killed, right? So this is Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah bringing numerous evidences for this. We mentioned two already. We'll go through the rest, inshallah ta'ala, in what follows of the completion of this lesson. So with that, we'll conclude today's lesson. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.